How many of you have actually have spent any time wondering if you're doing God's will in your life? Okay, me too. The text today had me thinking about this quite a bit, about whether or not there was a way to make sure that we knew how to, how to figure out whether we were following God's will in our life and how not to worry about it. It seems like worry is kind of in the text today since, since we did the prayer and some of, the, um, some of the other songs that we've sung this morning. And so it's, it's very important to remember that God came not to say to us, you know, everything you're doing is just right. Just keep doing what you're doing. Because that's not what he said, is it? That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't, the gospel isn't, you know, just do whatever you feel like and we'll be all good at the end. The gospel is that we've got, that there's a way that seems right to us that often leads to the to death or to the bat, to a wrong place. And so as we read John 7 today, some of John 7, I want to make sure that we listen to this just a little bit and hear it, and then I'll bring out uh, three warning signs and three ways to uh, make sure that we can figure out how we're going about God's will. Okay? So this is in John 7, 10 to 24. I know your bulletin says something about 690. I don't know how else to say this. I, I think I preached about four sermons all at once about a month ago, and I got, and I got Roxanne off schedule. It, it's, it's not her fault. It's almost always mine. So here's John 10. Or this is at the Feast of, of Tabernacles. Um, last week, remember, John's brother, Jesus' brothers came up and suggested that... Um, and suggested that... Uh, he should go up if he wanted to be famous. And so they went up to the thing. This is it. But his brothers left for the festival, and Jesus also went, though secretly staying out of public view. The Jewish leaders tried to find him at the festival and kept asking if anyone had seen him. There was a lot of grumbling about him among the crowds. Some argued, he's a good man, but others said, he's nothing but a fraud who deceives people. But no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders. Then, midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or is merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory for themselves, but a person who seeks the honor of the one who sent him speaks truth and not lies. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obey it. If, in fact, you, in fact, you are trying to kill me. The crowd replied, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you were amazed, but, but you work on the Sabbath too when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. Actually, this is a tradition of circumcision began by the patriarchs and not the law of, of Moses. But if the correct time for circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, 
you go ahead and do it so as to not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Okay, so the first warning sign of sort of wondering how you can know whether or not you're doing the will of God is this. If you're seeking God's will, this is the warning sign. Everybody here, this is the words from the text. I'm going to go back here. And here it is. But no one had any courage to speak favor about, favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the, other, with the Jewish leaders. The first warning sign of not following God's will in your life is you start to worry about what people will think. I I hate to say this. It's like this comment that that we've had. I've I've heard it recently about the political political format of our country and what's going on in our denomination and those people back east or those people in Seattle are doing this and that's keeping me from worshiping. I can't worship with a situation like that. Have you heard anybody say anything like that recently? I can't worship with people like that. I hate to tell you this, that the second somebody's keeping you from worshiping, your eyes are no longer worshiping. You're checking out everybody around you. That's not the same as worshiping. You have to take your eyes off God to notice somebody else doing something, right or wrong. So the problem isn't if I'm sitting in this chair and I'm saying to myself, I could worship God better if this person right here weren't bugging me. Right? It's not the person right here bugging me that's keeping me from worshiping. It's me. I'm allowing myself to be bugged. And because I've taken my eyes off the Lord and started noticing the person bugging me, I'm bugged. That is is a really simple thing. Jesus says, you come to do the will of the one who sent you. If you're doing his will, you're not noticing this other stuff. Now, that doesn't mean go ahead and be oblivious of the world around you. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me say that, okay? But the warning sign is, if you're not able to worship because something's going on around you, it's not the stuff around you. It's you. The second warning sign here is this. It comes from the same thing. The leaders come around asking people about Jesus. Say, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Here's the way to get around when people come to you and ask you about Jesus, introduce them to Jesus. That's the methodology. So if somebody comes to Jesus and says, what's God like? He's saying, here's what God's like. Say hi, this is God. He doesn't say, well, let me, let me hear your opinion about God, and here's my opinion about God, and we'll just have this little confab over here where we'll have these opinions about God. If somebody comes to Jesus and asks him about God, he's going to tell him about God. If somebody comes to you and asks you about Jesus, make the introduction. Don't spend all your time sharing opinions. Here's the practical thing of life, that this is the reason why we start off this sermon today with 
Not everything you do is always right, right? There's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death or a right to a person that leads to death. Let's say, for an instance, somebody comes to you and says, what do you think about Shirley? What do you think if you come to Pastor Dave? Some of you know this, and I'm not preaching at you. If you've come to me recently, I'm not preaching about this. I've just heard it enough recently that I need us to understand that it's very human to sort of build a team around us that agree with us. And when people come to us complaining about somebody else and we say, well, let me listen to that and all this stuff, the, the correct biblical way of handling that is, have you talked to that person? Don't, don't, don't spend all that time whispering in my ear about the stuff that's bugging you. Go talk to the person that's bugging you. And the reason why I say this is twofold and biblically twofold, that when you have a problem with somebody and you share that problem with a third party, okay, now there's three of you involved, and let's say, for instance, you and this person come together and you make it all right and you forgive each other. What do you do with a third person? You have to go to them and talk about the restoration that's being, going on. Because when you're going to somebody, it's not about arguing it out. It's about making sure that you're right with them. Right? If you come to church and you've got a problem with somebody, leave your, leave your gift at the altar and go and make it right. Forgiveness isn't forgive and forget. Forgiveness is forgive and restore. That's what God does. He doesn't just forgive and forget you. He forgives and restores you. Think about that for a second. How many times have you gone and got right with somebody and then continued to hold it against them? See, you haven't done the hard work of the restore thing. But the hardest work of the restore thing when you've got an argument and there's three people involved is restoring them in the mind of the person that didn't have a reason to be in the argument. But let's say, for instance, that you go talk to somebody and you go talk to somebody else and you go talk to somebody else and they talk to somebody else and then you get right with the person over here. How's the restoration going? It's hard work to restore if the person you're having a problem with isn't the first person that hears about it. And, and by the way, when Matthew, the book of Matthew says, go to them and make it right, and if somebody else, if you can't make it right, go to them with somebody else, it doesn't say go to somebody with, that shares your opinion about how wrong they are. If you're having an argument with somebody, that third person, the first person involved, and you can't get it right, the first person involved has to be somebody that can kind of be an arbiter between the two of you. Do you know why? Because sometimes when you're having a problem with somebody, they're not doing anything. Let me get that right. Let me say that again. I'll just say this with Roxanne. I'll just grab Roxanne because she's over here listening really well. She's got this habit. She listens. But if I've got a problem with Roxanne, and we go, and she goes, I don't think this is me. It could really be that way. And I think, I think it is you. And then we go and get somebody that's an arbiter, somebody that we both can listen to. And then we talk this out, and Bob, let's say Bob, who's back there at the sound booth, is our arbiter. 
Bob listens to the whole thing and says, um, excuse me, Roxanne, this is really Dave's problem. Then I have to go back and listen. Or he says, well, part of this is Roxanne and part of this is Dave. How do you fix that? That's the role of the arbiter. And then the restoration happens because you sort of get right. Now, when it says, let's say, for instance, that I come to Roxanne and Roxanne has really done something. And Bob says, Roxanne, you've got to change. And Roxanne says, I'm not going <laughs> to. Because that's totally the way she is. <laughs> Then it says, take it before the church and talk to it. And, and what happens if Roxanne still goes, I'm still right? It says, put, put her out. Now, we're not in the habit of doing that very often, but it says, treat her as an unbeliever, which we as humans often think means treat her like you don't want to walk on the same sidewalk with them, like they're a pariah or a mess. Isn't that right? When we do something like that, people, we treat them like, like ew, don't, oh, they're contagious. But that's not how the Bible talks about tr- dealing with non-believers. The Bible says, witness to them, love them, talk to them, bring the gospel to them. So, so even if something was all wrong here, and it's not, I want to make sure I'm still saying this right, Roxanne has not offended me. And, and, but it goes to this spot where she's put out. It doesn't mean treat her badly. It means witness to her and love on her because the goal of the gospel is always restoration. And so even in that spot, let's say she'd been all put out and then later comes and says, you know, I was kind of wrong about that. I need to change. And she changes. We can welcome her back with full arms. But if we treat her badly while she's outside of us, now we have to be forgiven in her eyes. Somebody comes to me and says, have you heard what's going on? Look, you don't want me in the middle of it, not just because I'm, I'm a pain in the neck, and I am. You don't want me in the middle of it because it makes the restoration so much harder. You don't want to be in the middle of it. You don't want to be collecting a team of people that agree with you on your opinion so that then when your opinion turns out to be wrong, they're all wrong. You seek the Lord. Remember that we seek the Lord. Jesus went to the festival. This is one of my things that I really love love about Jesus. He, He went to the festival not to demonstrate and collect believers, but to participate in it. Think about this for a second. We live in a world where people protest lots of things. And sometimes I think it's probably the only way around it. At, at, I, I think of this as the way we think it ought to be done. At um, my meeting of the orders last October, they brought in a speaker because she was working with um, illegal aliens at a, at a center where they were being detained, so a detention center. And they were all excited because a whole group of them had been protesting at the detention center. Right? We're carrying signs. We've got a problem. We've got a problem. I'm doing this. 
The speaker said this. This is what she said. That protesting doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't stop the practice, and it doesn't make the detention center a better place. But what she did with a group of people is they went to the detention center and started to work and volunteer in the detention center to make things better in the detention center. And in, tw- in the one year that they've been doing it, they got from a spot where the detention center had a rule that said nobody can congregate in groups over three to where they could have church services and the guards and the detainees were attending. The protest wasn't working, right? So remember, you're protesting. Somebody's done something to me. They're bugging me. I'm going to go talk to Bill and get Bill on my side. That's not how the solution is made. There's a, right that seems, there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to death. This is one of those things. I need to talk to everybody about this problem I've got. No, you've got a problem. Go work on the solution doesn't need the protest, doesn't need that thing. This is the text. Are you seeking to do God's will? Then go follow God's will. If you're doing and following God's will, then you're not going to be wondering whether you're doing it because you're hearing from him and you're doing stuff. If you're focused on doing God's will, it's, it's when you take your eyes off of him that his will becomes more difficult to discern. So the question is, we were talking about this, and even in my Sunday school class this morning with, with, uh, with our 10 and 12-year-olds and, and talking about how, how do you figure out which thief on the cross you are? Right? So Jesus is being hung here. Here's, here's my cross reference of the day. Jesus is, is on the cross, and there's two thieves. What's the first one say? If you're God, fix this. But that's not what his heart is saying, is it? His heart is saying, if, you, if I were God, I would do it this way. And you're not doing it this way, so I'm mad at you. And the other thief says... What are you talking about? We deserve this, and he doesn't. Which thief on the cross are you whenever you're doing something? You want to know how to discern God's will? That's the way to figure it out. Which thief on the cross are you? Just put yourself in there. Am I saying God's not doing it my way today? Or do I not understand what's going on here? Maybe I should slow down and sort of think about it. One other little takeaway that I I don't want to come up, I don't want to be just this minor little thing here. When somebody comes to you, send them to the person they're seeking. This is what Jesus did, right? So Jesus came on earth so that we might become children of God, that we might see God and know God by his example, but that he might introduce God to us. That's, that's a Dave paraphrase of John 1.18, right? That nobody has seen God at any time except for the one who'd always been there in heaven who came to explain him to us, or the fancy Greek word exegete, which means to explain, or introduce. 
He came to introduce us. When somebody comes to you with something, introduce them to the process that doesn't seem right initially. It seems so hard to go to somebody you're having a problem with and just solve it. I guarantee you it takes a lot less effort to just solve it than it does to solve it later when 15 other people are involved. It's like doing, it's like, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking about house projects right now and, and sometimes you choose the, the inexpensive way to fix something. Have you ever fixed something the inexpensive way in plumbing, Bill? Yeah, <laughs> yeah when you fix things um, in plumbing and you use the cheap way, does it work very long? Do you do it again? He says, no, it never works very long. Never. What, it, what happens when you cheap, fix it in the cheap way? It fails, and then you have to do it again. If you do it the cheap way, again, what's going to happen? It'll fail again. So, so sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and take the more expensive way, and you'll spend less. I, it, Bill's a plumber. I don't have to ask a plumber. I could ask Bob back there. See, I haven't included Bob very much in my sermons. Hey, Bob, as an electrician, lineman, I'm sorry, with, shh, can you forgive me for that? With electricity involved, is there cheap ways to fix things and then expensive way, and then the right way? Are they different? If you do it the cheap way, does it ever work? It usually burns up pretty quick. If you do things the way that just seems right, like it's the path of least resistance, sometimes it seems like the least resistance, but it really never is. It always is so much work to go back and fix it again. Even if you go the second time to the person, you've already got to do extra work. So the message of my thing today is, are you seeking God's will? Are you trying to do it your way? Which thief on the cross are you? Are you trying to do it your way? Are you mad at God because he didn't do it? I think it would just happen my way if I had five people on my side. It doesn't work that way. All you're doing is building a team that then when you seek forgiveness, you have to have them seek it too. I've been in these arguments before. I hate to tell you, in a previous church, before I was a pastor, there was a guy who was doing a ministry with cults, C-U-L-T, okay? And, and he'd made some people angry because they didn't think his, the thing he was talking about was a cult. And, and he was wearing a shirt that said, it had a picture of a leader of one of those churches that said, no false prophets on it. Big red circle with a stop sign on it and all this. Anyway, somebody saw the shirt and got mad and and went to the leaders of the church and said, you need to put him out. And so they did. They they told him he couldn't do that anymore and and he couldn't come amongst it. Didn't follow the procedure, right? The procedure of the Bible is there for a reason, all this stuff. What, what they didn't know is the person that complained went home to find out if he was right. How to argue with him. I'm going to go home and figure out if I can argue with him. Found out he was right and is now a member of that guy's board. 
that helps him survive and be in ministry. But if we don't do this God's way, do you see, see how it gets kind of messed up? We've got to focus on his way and, and not take his eyes off his way and not kind of do it our way. Because there's a way that seems right to a person that ends in death. There's a way that, that, that seems so much harder, but it's easier in the end. Right? If you've got a problem with somebody, go to them. This is like Church 101. I hate to say this, Church 101. Go to them. If somebody comes to you talking about somebody, make the introduction. Just go, you know, I need you to talk over here. I don't need to be in the middle. And the reason you don't need to be in the middle is because then, when the restoration happens, you don't have to put down the little spear you took up for being angry at the person that did the wrong thing. How do we know God's will? We come to work in the church and we keep our eyes upon him and we participate, not try to to build our own little teams, but we participate in the work and we make the introduction. That's the way to move ahead. That's the way people get restored. That's the way we do less human work and more God work. As I'm going to have the uh, music team come forward, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I ask this morning that each of us, if we've got something with somebody that we would go to them and talk to them personally. That we would remember that, that we're called to participate in this work of restoration, not in the work of setting people aside. That we would always keep our eyes on the restoration that we've been given and the restoration that can go for others. Lord, help us not seek the easy way or the human way. Help us do the work to be your people. In your precious name, amen.